listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Recently, my wife Vanessa and I began to introduce our children to that hit television show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It has been so much fun to expose our kids to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, to see them laughing at the scenes, to really take it in. And it's almost like they're getting a taste of our growing up time. Um, But although there is a lot of humor in the show, uh, lots of laughs to be had in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, if you take a deeper look at the show, here's the deep structure. You have Will Smith leaving his place of origin, his family of origin, and the whole show is about the development in which Will increasingly becomes a valuable and beloved part of this new family. And as he becomes a valuable and beloved member of this new family, he actually undergoes a personal transformation because there are a number of episodes in which he makes it clear that he doesn't want to lose any of his street cred coming from West Philly. But over time, he he begins to realize that he doesn't have to pretend or perform. He's able to belong and contribute as a part of this new family. And in many ways, this is what the story of the Christian life is really like. All of us are trying to learn how to become a valuable, and, and fruitful part of this new family. Now that we know the love of God, now that we have been included as a part of his family, we're all trying to process through what it looks like to really belong. And as we understand how much we are beloved, as we understand the value that God places on us as his people, we begin to undergo transformation. And so if you haven't been with us, we recently started a new series on community. And we're talking about the household of faith, or as the scriptures call it, the household of God. And we're trying to think about what it means for us to really lean into being a community as the scriptures define community, as the scriptures portray community. And today we're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. And we need to understand two things. We we need to understand our new family and we need to acquire new sensibilities. Those are our two points. Understand our new family and acquire new sensibilities. So let's look at our first point where we talk about understanding our new family. Now, this verse, verse 19 of chapter 2 It belongs to a larger section of scripture that I just read that is easily identified as one of the most important texts in all of the Bible about community. But here's the thing. There's a challenge for us in understanding this text. Why? Because we are so culturally distant from the meaning makers of the time, particularly as it relates to the household, as it relates to the family. Now, here's the situation. The Apostle Paul is writing to this group of Christians. It's very possible that the the book of Ephesians was a circular letter, which simply meant 
that it was intended for more than just one single congregation. But as it went around to the different churches in Ephesus or to this one singular church in Ephesus, we're not sure which one, uh, he's writing to a church that is a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles. And he's trying to write to them for the purpose of helping them to live together as a body, as a community, to be one people. The church has experienced something objective and decisive, Paul says. That is to deeply form and shape the kind of community that we are, the kind of people that we are. The church began with the Lord's work among the Jewish people. Okay, but the mystery of Christ, chapter three says, chapter three of Ephesians, the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles have been brought into the family and they have been made fellow heirs. Members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. And as our passage for today says, the Gentiles have been made fellow citizens with the Jewish saints and members of the household of God. Jewish Paul is telling these Gentile believers, you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, you are not spiritual strangers or spiritual foreigners. You are not spiritual outsiders. You are members of the household of God. He says you are oikeoi, people related by kinship. You are a part of God's family. Now, here's where we have to do some work in order to understand exactly what it is that Paul is saying here and what other passage of scripture that reference the household of faith are really saying to us because there is a weight to these texts that our cultural situatedness does not help us to understand. It actually blocks our understanding of the force of what the text is saying when it calls us family. So let's, let, let me develop this, all right? Here's the deal. Half of the battle when it comes to understanding scripture or understanding other people is self-awareness, right? You gotta know who you are. You have to understand the things that make you tick. You have to understand the, the, the biases that you are prone to have. This is just a part of understanding clearly, knowing when your own cultural situatedness can get in the way of understanding clearly. And so here's the reality. In American family systems, the closest and most important relationship that exists is the contractual romantic relationship between husband and wife. That is the deal in American family systems. Everyone expects that husband and wife are supposed to be close. You may or may not have a really close relationship with your siblings if you have them, you know, you see them at holidays, maybe check in every once in a while. It's not expected that you'll be super, super close for your entire life with your siblings, but it is expected in American family systems that you will be close with your spouse. That's expected. However, in the first century Mediterranean family system, it was very different because these were extended families that were patrilineal. Somebody say patrilineal. Patrilineal, I'm gonna break it down like a fraction, all right. The, this is what patrilineal means. The closest relationship to you 
was not your contractual romantic relationship. It was your bloodline through your father. That was the closest relationship. Your closest relationship came from your father who gave you your blood, your children to whom you gave your blood, and, and any of your siblings who shared your blood. These were your very closest relationships. Mediterranean people, they, they weren't really focused on how close you were with your spouse, but they were determined that you would be close with your brother or your sister because there was a bloodline connection. They were much more concerned about the relational intimacy between brothers and sisters than they were with the intimacy between a husband and a wife. In the Mediterranean world, blood runs deeper than romantic relationships. Now, why am I telling you all this? Here's why. Our Western American culture has set us up fairly well to understand the importance of marital closeness and intimacy. But our American family system culture has failed us when it comes to us appreciating what it means when the scriptures call us brothers and sisters. We don't understand that the, the kind of intimacy that we expect between husbands and wives, that is the intimacy that is expected between brothers and sisters in the Mediterranean world. So when Paul calls us brothers and sisters, he has an entirely more weighty consideration of how invested we ought to be in one another. That kind of closeness, the kind of concern and mutuality, the kind of bonds that ought to exist between us. That's why in so many places of scripture, when people are having issues, when there is conflict, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Your brothers and sisters, do you realize what the gospel has created? The gospel has created of us a new family. And you know what that means? You know what? I'm very close with my sister, my blood sister. I'm also very close with my wife. But when my blood sister is going through something, I feel it. I'm checking in. I, I am there. I, I, I feel the pain. It's her pain in my heart. That's the kind of bond we have. And you know what? A lot of the problems that exist in the church today stem from the fact that we don't really think of one another in that kind of intimate way. Think about all of the disconnect that happens with all of the racial injustice in our country. And there are a lot of, of our white brothers and sisters who don't appreciate the pain that's going through the hearts of black and brown folk and AAPI folk. But if we were really a family, we would feel that pain. We would be able to see through their eyes. We would take concern and we would do what was necessary in order to support and rally and comfort and seek change. This is not rocket science. I just, I just want to put it out there for public record. This got nothing to do with critical race theory or intersectionality. This is Christianity 101. You can't use CRT as a smokescreen to evade the demands of scripture when it comes to love for the brothers and sisters. That, that's what I'm saying. This is, you see, I want you to let this sink in for a minute. Let it sink in for a minute. What would it mean for us if we really saw one another as brother and sister, that bloodline connection, that intimacy, that concern, 
I wouldn't just leave you to your own devices. I wouldn't fail to pray for you. I wouldn't fail to be in the thick of it with you. Even if I don't have the words to say when you're going through, just to be present, to cry with you, to bear the load with you, to, to make sure you're not alone. There are so many ways that this works out. And I'm telling you this because it's, it's critical for our life together. Scripture expects this level of relational connection between us. And here's the deal. Any aversion that we feel here is an indicator of how far we are from what the teaching of Scripture is trying to, to get us to embrace. And let me give a side note here. This is a side note. This is for married people. This is for those who are unmarried. This is important for the church in Northeast D.C. right now. One of the reasons why the institution of marriage is faltering so much, why divorce rates are so high, and why we have so much stress in marriage relationships today is because we are trying to get from one person what only a community can give. This is what it means for us to be family. This is where that healthy kind of integration of that Mediterranean family system comes in and it checks our American family system. Should you be close with your spouse? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do I want you to have intimacy with your spouse? Yes. Are there special things that exist in marriage relationships? Absolutely. But don't let that be to the exclusion of the brother-sister obligation in the family of God. That's important. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do less in terms of your marriage relationship. I'm saying there's a whole lot more that's left for us as it relates to the family of God and brothers and sisters and priorities and decisions. And when you decide to show up or when you decide to go to brunch instead of worship, right? Like all of this is tied into what the family means to you. Do you like, like I'm going to ask me, I don't know. I know not all of us come from the same, like, you know, ethnic background, but like where I come from, you don't miss the family reunion. Because it's going to be a party, right? We're going to be out there dancing, doing the cha-cha slide. We're going to be eating barbecue and cutting up, right? Like, like some of y'all probably have some family reunions like that. Like, I do not want to miss it. In a similar way, I want every Sunday morning family reunion to have that kind of urgency to us. Yeah. That kind of heightened importance. And it's not just about what you can get from Sunday morning. Remember, your very presence matters. It's about what you give. It's the give and take. How do you breathe? By inhaling or exhaling? Both. Sunday morning worship is about give and take. You're going to receive something as you come and sit under the word of God. But also you're going to give something. You're going to be a contributor. This is the rhythm that I want for us. But here's the thing. We are putting too much stress on that one relationship, that marriage relationship, because that one person that you're married to, if you're married, can't bear the weight of giving you everything that you need. It takes a community to do that. And then this thinking affects unmarried people, leading them to feel like they can't be whole or vital unless they find that one person in their life. Do you see the trickle down effect? This is where it's, it's fair to talk about an idolatry of the nuclear family. That's fair. It's fair. That, that never used to resonate with me because in American family systems, it's like, it's like God, family, country, church is in there somewhere. 
And we disconnect God from church, which shows you just how individualistic we are. And that grid can get you thrown off, but that whenever your nuclear family compromises the health of the extended family of God, something is off. Okay, and you need to seek the Lord and you need to get wisdom from your community about how to live into that. But here's the deal, and this is what I want to say to those who are unmarried. The New Testament teaches us that you might not be married, but there are no singles in God's vision of the church, only beloved belongers. Yeah. I actually want us to change that, that language that we use, that they're single, isolated. It's estranged. It feels just like estrangement or isolation. No, no, you're not single. You're just unmarried. You are a beloved belonger. And you have relationships, and we're going to work together to, to strengthen those, to be the kind of family that God is calling us to be. This vision should shape everything about our life together because the family of God, listen, is bound by blood. The apostle says in this very chapter, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I'm here to tell you that the blood of Christ is thicker than water. His blood is thicker than the ties of family origin. His blood is thicker than the affinities of marital status. His blood is thicker than the evil fiction of racial kinship. His blood is thicker than the connection of economic equals. His blood is thicker than the patriotic pride of nationalism. His blood is thicker than the loyalties of partisan politics. His blood will never lose its power to redeem us, to unite us, to bind us, to save us, and to lead us to glory together. Amen. Amen. The dysfunctional power dynamics and value judgments and relational rhythms at work out there are never to find a home among God's family members. We must, we must recognize that this is one of the battlegrounds where we resist the spirit of the age. And as we resist, we will see that we grow ever closer to the communal beauty that we're longing for, that our neighbors are longing for deep down. It's implanted in us as image bearers. We were designed for community and we long for it. And we may try to hide it, but we don't really do a good job, do we? We long for that. We are God's family and our calling is to embrace this reality and live into it, allowing scripture and Christian tradition to fill out what that actually means rather than reading our own culture exclusively back onto the text. Again, our culture is not bad. It just, it's prohibitive of understanding the full category of family in scripture, okay? All right, listen, I want us to see something. This is another sidebar, by the way. I got a couple sidebars in here. <laughs> Another important point that I want to make <laughs> is that the familial outlook of the New Testament church meant that the early Christians did not sharply distinguish between a strong relationship with God and a strong relationship with the church. Y'all catch that? What the scriptures teach and what we see in the early Christian communities 
is that early Christians did not create a distinction between a strong relationship with God and a strong relationship with the church. A strong relationship with the family of God. You know this idea of spiritual, not religious? Well, some people have abandoned the church. And some of them have really good reasons because they have been hurt deeply or they have experienced abuse that has not been disciplined. I, I, I pray, Lord, have mercy in those situations because how could someone not feel that kind of betrayal and, and really be hesitant about being a part of the church? I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about people who have no good reason to not be connected to the family of God except to save themselves a little embarrassment because they want to create some distance so, when, so that when things happen, they can say, oh, well, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not that kind of Christian, right? Now look, we have to think about the way that the early church thought. Maybe one of the reasons that the church is declining in its health in America is because there are a lot of great people who have all of a sudden decided to abandon it and to just let it deteriorate. Now let's not get this twisted. The center of the church in the world right now is the global south. It's not the west. Okay? In other words, the average Christian does not look like the average American when you consider the globe. It, it, it's probably a, 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 a Latina woman who's Pentecostal or uh, an Asian woman who is also Pentecostal. Right? <laughs> Beautiful, right? Like, but, but you see, like, there are people that get caught up and they wander away from the faith because in their minds, all they're thinking about in terms of their criticisms of the church are, are the American expression of evangelicalism. That's all they're thinking about. They're not thinking about the global and historic church. We need to think more broadly and more deeply. And here's the deal. We are saved from estrangement and for community. That's the story of scripture. We're saved from estrangement from God and one another. And we're saved for community with God and one another. In scripture, we, we, are, we, we see that Christians are justified by faith. And then they are sanctified by being familyfied, if I could put it that way. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We have a righteous standing before God, but then we are sanctified by being familyfied. In other words, the way that transformation happens in your life is not by you being all isolated by yourself. How do you grow in love unless you've got difficult people to love? How do you grow in patience unless you've got to wait with people and sit with people as they continue to struggle through? You can't grow in any of the virtues of the Christian life by yourself. They are designed for communal activity on purpose. God's church has been most compelling when it has been most communal. God's church has been most missional when it has been most familial. And God's church has been most transcendent when it has been most interdependent. These are the truths of church history and the scriptures. When we all bring our differences and distinctions and unique qualities to bear for the benefit and flourishing of the family and our neighbors. We are no longer strangers and aliens. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And being members of the kind of family described in scripture requires new sensibilities. Which brings me to my final point. New sensibilities. I'm going to hit this quick. 
By calling us members of the household, Paul is teaching us that we belong to one another and that the big picture of what God is doing in the church and in the world involves new sensibilities for us. And you know what sensibilities are. It's like your gut. It's your instinct. It's like it's like what you feel in your bones. It's like it's like your first response. Right. It's like your, your immediate reaction. New sensibilities. Now. You may want to write these down for reflection and prayer, but I'm telling you up front, this is not an exhaustive list. What kind of sensibilities do we need to be the kind of family that is envisioned in the scriptures? How do we reimagine the household of God? I'm going to give you four things. First, we share our stuff with one another. Two, we share our hearts with one another. Three, we share our futures with one another. And four, family is about more than me, my spouse, and my kids. I'll say those again. One, we share our stuff with one another. Two, we share our hearts with one another. Three, we share our futures with one another. And four, I need to get it into my sensibilities that family is about more than me, my spouse, and my kids. Let me hit those briefly. First, we share our stuff with one another. Now, one of the ideas that is basic to being a family is the sharing of material resources. Now, I think this is actually a beautiful strength of this community. So praise God for his for the evidence of grace in our midst. I think you all are generous. And I also want us to continue to grow and sharing our stuff with one another. Why? Here's why. Because right now, we are largely white collar workers. But I see a day coming where native DC will actually be able to find a home with us as we grow in intercultural competence, as we grow in extending the welcome of God, as we grow in understanding this place and loving this place, I believe that we are going to see more people in this place. And I believe we're gonna grow in socioeconomic diversity. I'm, I'm believing God for that. And in order for us to be ready to meet whatever needs come through that door, we need to continue to grow and sharing our stuff with one another. Two, we share our hearts with one another. This is what psychologists call affective solidarity. Affective solidarity. There is the emotional attachment, the affective sense of closeness and intimacy that the spirit weaves into the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ who live together in vulnerability. We have all experienced it at times, and I think we've really grown together in mutual love and affection for one another. I think that in my experience of our community, I have seen our people weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, and I wanna to continue to spur you on to love and good deeds. Let's continue to share our hearts with one another. And remember this, because we have a group of such talented and gifted and uh, brilliant people in our midst, I think that one of, the, one of the things that threatens the sharing of our hearts with one another is that we can get the feeling through our dealings out there that it's not safe to share your weakness, that it's not safe to be vulnerable, but we need to be a counterculture in that regard where we are vulnerable with one another and we protect one another in our vulnerabilities, that we are ready to receive one another, to open our doors, to open our homes, to open our hearts. This, this is important for us 
And I think that like, we just need to encourage one another. Like you don't have to be competent all the time. You don't have to be amazing all the time. You're not amazing all the time. So just be honest about it and grow into the community by letting your hair down a little bit and saying, I got some things going on. You don't need to be afraid of being weak. God loves the weak. In fact, he sent his son for the weak. While we were still sinners, while we were still broken, he sent his son. That's who he's for. Next, we share our futures with one another. And this is to say that we share our decision-making process with our community before we reach conclusions. We actually come to the conviction that our decision-making process will not be sound if we do not hear from our community and receive their feedback and their pushback and allow their counsel to actually shape our decisions. Not that like perfunctory like community where you're like, well, I'm going to talk to folk, but I already know what I'm going to do. Like, like we, we need that insight. Do you really think that you are capable of making all these sound decisions on your own? Really? Really? Okay, let's do a little experiment. <laughs> what do you think of the decision-making powers of the six-year-old you? Dumb. What do you think of decision-making powers of the 16-year-old you? Works, also dumb, right? <laughs> what do you think about the decision-making powers of the 20-year-old you? What about the 26-year-old you? Right? Like, what about the 30-year-old you? The 40-year-old you? At what point does the you actually make sound decisions on their own? It's a simple illustration to say that you always look back on yourself and say, wow, I, I needed help. I was struggling. I didn't understand things. So what makes you think that you understand things now? Like, like the 50-year-old you or the 60-year-old you or the 70-year-old you is going to look back on the current you and say... Lord, Lord, you brought me from a mighty long way, right? Okay, so knowing that, one of the things that mitigates our own foolishness is opening up to our community and allowing our community to help us. Trusting that they're out for our good and they're not just going to be killjoys. Okay? All right. Share our futures with one another. Finally, Family is about more than me, my spouse, and my kids. Remember, married people, your marriage was not designed to meet all of your relational needs. And it is unfair to put all of those expectations on your spouse. It's unfair. And this point is particularly important for the way that we love and include brothers and sisters who are not married. And I can personally testify that one of the richest years in the life of the Whitfield family was when we had Sister Ashley Williams living in our house with us. As we took just a little baby step closer to living into what the extended family of God is, it was, it was profoundly good and beautiful and amazing and enriching and encouraging. My children have been marked by Miss Ashley, who's about to actually officially transition to the title Auntie Ashley. She's about to be auntie, all right? In one year, right? Like, that's quick. That's quick. She's extraordinary, right? But my wife, Vanessa, and myself, like, we need to get creative. Think about, think about all the creative ways that we can do community. This is not just for our unmarried brothers and sisters. This is for elderly brothers and sisters, like parents. Like, let's not be so quick already have the foregone conclusion that we know what we're doing with our parents as they get older and they, and they may, some of them may not be able to take care of themselves. There's so much creative room. Think about it. 
you know, to bring our family into tighter bonds with one another. This is the household of God. Let's ask for the Spirit's help to live into it more beautifully. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.